Good morning, everyone. I have something to show you first. We're we're going to look at 1 Corinthians 4 very soon. But I'm going to show you something first. Can everybody see this? Yeah? Yeah. Yeah? Ah, it is, isn't it? Right. All right, can everybody see this now? Uh, Have you got it? You got it? Okay. I come from from the age uh, or the era where we used to call this the arch window. You know? Yeah, some people get that. Yeah, some people have no idea what that is at all. Right. Can you, what can you see? What can you see? Reflection. Yeah. Of? Us. Us. Yeah. yeah, you can see yourselves in the, in the mirror, yeah? yeah? Okay. So everybody have a good look. Okay. Have a good look. <laughs> All right. Okay. Right. Put that down that way around. James says to us, do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. Anyone who listens to the word but does not do what it says is like someone who looks at his face in a mirror and after looking at himself or herself goes away and immediately forgets what he or she looks like. But whoever looks intently into the perfect law that God gives freedom and continues in it, not forgetting what they have heard, but doing it, they will be blessed in what they do. It is so easy for us to listen to something and think, you know what? I've heard this one, I know it. I've got this one already. And and I know what what they're going to say and I know what it's going to try and produce. Uh, And, you know, you just sort of think, yeah, I've I've been there before, I've got that. Uh, I miss what is happening. Because if I listen to the word and only listen, I'm going to deceive myself. But if I open myself up to the word... And, and follow what it says and put it into action, God changes me. Little by little, God will change me. But it's a question of, do I want that? Now we're going to look at 1 Corinthians 4. Uh, so if you have it on an app or a Bible or whatever, if you'd like to turn to it now, that'd be great. This, then, is how you ought to regard us as servants of Christ and as those entrusted with the mysteries God has revealed. Now it is required that those who have been given a trust must prove faithful. I care very little if I am judged by you or by any human court. Indeed, I do not even judge myself. My conscience is clear. 
But that does not make me innocent. It is the Lord who judges me. Therefore, judge nothing before the appointed time. Wait until the Lord comes. He will bring to light what is hidden in darkness and will expose the motives of the heart. At that time, each will receive their praise from God. Now, brothers and sisters, I have applied these things to myself and Apollos for your benefit, so that you may learn from us the meaning of the saying, do not go beyond what is written. Then you will not be puffed up in being a follower of one of us over against the other. For who makes you any different from anyone else? What do you have that you did not receive? And if you received it, why do you boast as though you did not? Already you have all you want. Already you, you have become rich. You have begun to reign, and that without us. How I wish that you really had begun to reign, so that we also might reign with you. For it seems to me that God has put us apostles on display at the end of the procession, like those condemned to die in the arena. We have been made a spectacle to the whole universe, to angels as well as to human beings. We are fools for Christ, but you are wise in Christ. We are weak, but you are strong. You are honoured, we are dishonoured. To this very hour, we go hungry and thirsty, and we are in rags. But we are, um, I'm sorry, we are brutally treated. We are homeless. We work hard with our hands. When we are, uh, when we are cursed, we bless. When we are persecuted, we endure it. When we are slandered, we answer kindly. We have become the scum of the earth, the garbage of the world, right up to this moment. I'm writing this not to shame you, but to warn you as my dear children. Even if you had 10,000 guardians in Christ, you do not have many fathers. For in Christ Jesus, I became your father through the gospel. Therefore, I urge you to imitate me. For this reason, I have sent to you Timothy, my son, whom I love, who is faithful in the Lord, he will remind you of my way of life in Christ Jesus, which agrees with what I teach in every church. Some of you have become arrogant, as if I were not coming to you, but I will come to you very soon if the Lord is willing, and then I will find out how these arrogant people are talking and what power they have. For the kingdom of God is not a matter of talk, but of power. What do you prefer? Shall I come to you with a rod, or, or sorry, a rod of discipline, or shall I come to you in love and a gentle spirit? Father, we ask that you will open our hearts to what your word has for us. We pray, Lord, that what we look at this morning, that something of it would take rest in our hearts and remain there. And we pray, Lord, by your spirit, that you will give us the ears to hear and the hearts to receive. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, sorry about the passage being long, and sorry about it being me reading it, because I, I get a bit tired of listening to my voice. I've, I've read this passage, I can't remember 
how many times over the last few weeks, but I've read this passage a lot. So, right. This is Falls for Christ. There's a lot of division in this church. And obviously this is what the first four chapters that we've looked at, some very briefly, is all alluding to. There's a division in the church. People are divided over who leads and who, who they should be following. And Paul is trying to address this because he sees this as being a real fundamental error in this church. And it's leading this church away from a Christ-centered gospel into a very much a puffed-up, full of knowledge, full of spiritual gifts uh, sort of way of doing church. They're very into their culture, very attuned to their culture, and they want to be able to converse with the people in their, their city, and they are becoming ashamed of the message of the gospel because it is such foolishness in the world's eyes. Now, at the beginning of that, the passage we've just read, Paul says, servants, we are servants. All of us, servants. Servants serve their master. Christ is our master. And as servants, we make sure that his household is run according to the way that he wants it run. Some passages will say stewards as well of the mysteries of God that he has revealed. Stewards, again, are servants with greater responsibility. But you have to um, follow what your master requires for his household. And that is what we're called to be. And that is what Paul has told the church at Corinth. That's what they are. We are supposed to be servants. Now, do you remember last week when we looked at the um, chapter 3? Anybody remember last week when we looked at chapter Thank you. Tug of war, yes. It's going to sound like we're going to go backwards now because there's some things from chapter 3 that I really want to state. Because Paul is pointing out that he's being judged by some in this church. And he says, I care very little that you are judging me. Now, you weigh that up. Does it sound like he cares very little about it or not? But he's saying... I care very little that you judge me. He says he doesn't even judge himself. And it's not because he's arrogant or very proud and thinks there's nothing that needs to be done. But he knows his heart. And he says, you aren't able to, to judge me because the one that's called me is Christ. He judges me. He will judge me. And he says, at the last day, he will judge me when he reveals all things. Paul knows that there are things in each one of us that are hidden and sometimes very deceptive in our hearts and in the way that we, uh, the way that we behave. There are different motives that go on within us. And sometimes we're very much aware of them and we should repent of them and put them away, not do them. And there are other things that are there that we can't see or, and, and choose not to, to see. In Hebrews, we're told that the word of God is living and active. 
and sharper than any double-edged sword, and it penetrates to dividing soul and spirit. Did you know such a thing could be divided? I have no idea where you would even find your soul or your spirit. But the word of God is sharp enough to divide the two. He says, all the thoughts and attitudes of the heart are exposed to him. And it's to him that we have to give account. So Paul knows that there's a judgment coming. And he says, your judgment, I don't care that much for. In fact, the judgment that's being applied to him is based in the world. So he's saying that he doesn't uh, hold to their judgment. Christ will judge. Back in chapter 3 we were told about the fact that each one is assigned his own task to do with God's temple. Do you not know you are God's temple? The Holy Spirit lives in you and among you. Do you not know that you are his temple, he says? And he says, uh, some of us have been called to, to plant, some of us are called to water, but God gives the increase. God makes the thing grow. Paul says, I, by the grace of God, laid the foundation, which is Christ Jesus. He said, and that is the only foundation that there is. And the church is built on that. And he says, others will come and build on it. That's great. We're all with you on that. But he says, you have to be careful how you build. There's different materials that you can use. And he says, the thing is, how a man or a woman builds will be tested on the day. The day. The day. The day that he's talking about is the final day. The day of judgment. Everything will be tested by that. And he said, it will be revealed by fire. And he says, if you have built something that has survived, if you have, you receive a reward by God's grace. Not that we've done anything for a reward, but God will give a reward. He says, if what you have built is burnt up and is ashes only, you will be saved as one escaping through the flames. But he says, that would have, um, that would have evaporated and gone. What Paul is concerned about is the Corinthians seem to be moving off the central foundation that he had laid. They are moving away from a Christ-centred gospel and want uh, other things, spiritual gifts. They want to elevate those things. They like knowledge and they're puffed up by the knowledge that they have. Uh, tongues, they love the, the, the spiritual gifts that they have that God has given them. But Paul is t challenging them about the foundation that they're building on. You see, Paul is trying to tell them the church has to be built in such a way that it stands on the day of judgment. That it stands on the day of judgment. That it's not burnt up and gone. That it's not wasted. That all our labour didn't come to anything at all. He's saying that the, the way the church has to be built is with good materials that will sustain and survive Christ's judgment. Now, have you ever wondered what it would be like on that day? Because Christ has, has told us that when the Son of Man comes and all his holy angels with him, 
He will take his throne of glory and he will have all the nations gathered before him. And he will begin to divide the people and separate them as a shepherd separates his sheep from the goats. And the sheep will be on his right-hand side and the goats will be on his left. And he says to the sheep, blessed by my father, you, blessed by my father, inherit the kingdom of God that was prepared for you since before the foundations of the earth. Isn't that Stop, think, inherit this that was prepared for you since before the earth was created. Who is this guy? Who is he? He can talk to, invite, he can see the heart within each one of us. He knows our attitudes. He can divide our soul and spirit. Inherit the kingdom of God. He said, I was hungry, you fed me. I was thirsty, you gave me something to drink. I was naked, you clothed me. He says, uh, I was homeless, you took me in. I was ill, you came to me. I was in prison, you visited me. And they say, when? When did all that take place? And he says, it's when you did it for the least of these, my brethren, he says, you did it unto me. The, the master, you, you are serving the master. You serve the master. Now, the unfortunate thing is what follows. The most horrendous thing you, you know, anybody could ever hear, where he turns to the other side and he says, depart from me. Horrendous. This church that Paul is talking to in Corinth, they are wandering away. You see, they put so much in what the church looks like and what the church does in regards of how attractive it is to the world. They're going down this path where they're going further and further away from this gospel message that is ridiculous to the world. That... He's saying, you know, you've got to get this right. It's got to be built of something more than spiritual gifts. Because he says, you know what will happen? He says, love never fails. But where there are prophecies, they will cease. Where there are tongues, they will be stilled. He says, where there is knowledge, it will fade away. Because we prophesy in part... And we know in part, he says, but when completion comes, when perfection comes, the imperfect will disappear. The gifts that we have are so important for the church. And that's not what he's saying, they're not important. He's saying they are important. But that's not it. They're there to aid the church. But if we are planted on the right foundation, then we become more Christ-like as we go, from bit by bit, moment by moment, change from glory into glory. We're going to run out of time in a minute. So I'm going to, I'm going to say that we, we are, we're going to take communion just in just a moment. 
Christ and the um, centrality of the cross is so important. It belongs... See this? Box one. It belongs in box one. If you can remember what happened the first week when Andy Taylor spoke. And he said there are four boxes. And he said... We put different things into different boxes. Don't get the boxes mixed up. Don't put the wrong thing in the wrong box. But this is central. Have you ever wondered about what the church is like wherever it meets in different parts of the world, like where Andy and Diane and, and Marilyn have been? And the centrality of the cross is so important because they don't have the freedom in some parts of the world that we have. There are some places where you are persecuted for your belief. There are some places where you can't have a band and you can't worship and you can't gather in public uh, because it's, you'll put yourself in danger. You'll be either locked up, you'll be beaten up or persecuted in one way or another or even lose your life. How important do you think the cross of Christ is to those people? when they are putting their lives at risk, how important do you think it is? Because there is no... Well, it's so embarrassing. This message is so embarrassing because it is so ridiculous to the world. No, they cling to it. They stand on it. That's what they believe. That's what they hold fast to. And you know what the amazing thing is? In some of those situations, in some of those countries, the church is growing. The church is growing and it's in secret, and it's behind closed doors. Paul says, that's the power. He mentions it again at the end of this passage. The kingdom of God is not a matter of talk. It's a matter of power. And it's the power that God has to change our lives, to change who we are. I'm going to pray. Come forward and take the bread and the wine. Um, we are dunking the bread. There is gluten-free on that side um, if, you, if you need to take gluten-free bread. Look at your heart. Look at where, where you are today. How central is the cross of Christ in your life? How central is it uh, in the way that we think and in the way that we behave and the way that we act? Father, we thank you for this table. We thank you what this table, uh, what this table, um, I can't think of the word, sorry. Represents. Thank you. Represents, yes. Lord, we pray that as we take this, that we remember you, that we put you central in our hearts and minds in our lives. So, Lord, we thank you for the blessing. That, uh, that you are to us. We thank you for the foundation that we're stood on. We thank you for what you're doing among us, Lord. And we pray that you continue to work out your purposes and your plans for us here, as well as across this town, across this country, and across this world. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Amen.